Good evening, everyone. It's nice to see all of you here at Grace Church for midweek Bible study. We're glad you could be with us and all of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live. We would like to say welcome to you as well. We're glad that you could tune in wherever you are. I want to give you just a few announcements this evening. Uh, first of all, I just want to remind you that uh, this coming Saturday, the 13th, Daylight Savings returns. And this is not the good one, in my opinion. This is, this is the spring forward, losing hour one. Not my favorite, but we still do it. So uh, please keep that in mind. And also, uh, this coming Sunday, the 14th, is a baby dedication Sunday for us. And always a special time. We look forward to that. And uh, we trust that you will enjoy it along with us on Sunday morning. I uh, just want to give you something real quick before pastor's, pastor comes this evening. Um, Dave Barry wrote, uh, he said, I recently had my annual physical examination, which I get once every seven years. And whenever the nurse weighed me, I was absolutely shocked to discover how much stronger the Earth's gravitational pull has become since 1990. That happens you know, we all have a physical representation of who we are in this physical world. That's a kind of a fancy way of, of saying that we have a body. And uh, this, this human body is, it's miraculous whenever you think about it, all of the things that it does and how complex it is. And the greatest minds from the beginning of time have studied it and continue to study it to this day. And we still aren't even close to knowing everything that there is to know about the human body and how it works. Scripture actually has a lot to say about our bodies. In Romans it says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You know, your physical body is, is, is neutral. It isn't, any, it isn't good or, or evil any more than the cell phone in your back pocket or your purse is good or evil. It's technology. It can be used for good, and it can be used for evil. It's what happens inside the body that determines whether evil or good occurs outside. Of the body. So today, this evening, are you allowing the Holy Spirit who is inside of you to have his way with you and your body? Or are you still trying to control things yourself? I wonder if anybody's brave enough to just go ahead and raise your hand and say, Jason, I know that doesn't work. Four people. I appreciate you four people that are going to heaven tonight. The rest of you will pray for you. You know, the answer to questions like that about who's really in control and who you're letting control your body can make a huge difference for you in this world today. It really can. We need to give him control of this body and let him use it as he sees fit. That's one of the reasons why pastors have been talking to us about vision and visioneering, the vision that you have for your future and the things that you allow God to do through your body, your physical body, while you are here on this earth matter. They matter quite a bit. God bless you this evening as Pastor comes. Thank you, Brother Jason. Great to see you folks here tonight. And uh, I was thinking while he was speaking that I look forward to these perspectives that our ministry team shares when they come to the pulpit, whether it be Wednesday or Sunday. And I uh, would like for them to know that people pay attention and listen to what they have to say. And uh, I appreciate our ministry team very much. Again, it's great to see all of you tonight. Thank you for being here on Wednesday night. And uh, I'm excited to be here tonight and uh, looking forward to uh, sharing with you tonight our presentation I've looked forward to this for a long time but uh, before we jump into that um, it seems that uh, us starting up Sunday school this past Sunday has been just a, a tremendous success 
um, very excited about it. Um, our uh, junior high school class teacher, uh, Jeremy, uh, mentioned just a little while ago in a meeting that they're, they're pretty crowded in their Sunday school class this past Sunday versus what they've been having on Wednesday nights. And uh, so it looks like I told him if the trend continues for the next couple, three Sundays, we're going to have to do something uh, to provide for them more space. And we banged around a few ideas. But I say keep on coming. We'll figure it out. We're not going to be intimidated by running out of room. Thank the Lord. So I'm very excited about that. And, uh, and especially for that age group. And I'm very happy to say tonight that uh, I do know that age group in particular, at least those of them that I know pretty well, are very excited about Grace Church. And uh, I think we're, and we're trying, we're going to do our best to keep it that way. Thank the Lord. We want everybody to be excited about their church and uh, the great things that God is doing. What a great time we had here this past Sunday. And uh, the presence of the Lord was so evident. And uh, I believe we have a great opportunity uh, sitting in front of us right now if we can see it. And I pray that God opens our eyes to see um, the potential and the promise that uh, he has for us. And uh, I'm anticipating what's going to happen here in the very near future here at Grace Church. I want to jump into our presentation tonight. And... Um, I want to talk to you, I've, I've talked to you about vision, eyes wide open, but tonight I want to narrow it down, I want to funnel it down, and I would deeply hope and appreciate it that all of you would uh, lend me your ear for the next little while. I'll try not to be too long, if it goes too long, we'll just stop and we'll continue it uh, next Wednesday night. But tonight I want to present to you vision on a personal level. This is where the past couple of Wednesday nights I've, I've, I've broadcasted, if you will, vision mostly on a kingdom, the kingdom of God level and church level, even though I did mention bringing it into your, your home, your marriage, your parenting, your job, etc. But tonight I want to really focus on vision on a personal level. And uh, uh, we're still using the, the Bible text of Elisha praying that God would open the eyes of his servant and let him see, and I'm, I'm continuing to hope and pray that that's going to happen to us here tonight. Uh, as we continue to go through this, this material, I'm going to keep chipping away and uh, see what the Lord has in store. <clears throat> I am thinking, uh, praying about making a presentation. If not, depending on how far I get tonight, we'll determine next Wednesday night, but if, if not next Wednesday night, the following. Uh, to our whole entire church that would be so key for where we are right now. And I, I would appreciate your prayers that God would uh, give us some very strong and clear direction along that line. I would like to particularly address our students here tonight. I appreciate seeing them in here with us, uh, particularly our junior high, high school, and college age group. And uh, y'all are at the top of my list tonight, especially for this presentation. This applies to everybody, but I'd really like to target uh, you folks tonight. So with that in mind, to all of our junior high, high school, and college, and then the rest of you, uh, present this opening statement to quote Mark Twain. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, the two most important days in your life is the day that you were born and the days you figure out why. Those are the two most important days in your life. And I hope that especially our, our youth group here tonight, um, you'll do some soul searching. Your birthday obviously has been established. If it were not, you would not be here tonight. I would like for you to pursue why you're on this planet. Why did God bring you to this church? Why is your family in this church? And if God brought you here, then it is imperative that you find out why. There's obviously something that he would like for you to contribute and to give back. Life is a journey. 
like for everybody to listen tonight. Life is a journey, and as we all know, every journey has a destination. And we're going to spend some time discussing our destination tonight. But tonight, for the sake of this Bible study, I am not going to be talking about heaven nor hell. That's our ultimate destination, one of those. But I want to talk to you tonight about your destination in this life, where you will end up in the various roles that you'll play in this life. What will you accomplish in this life, both personally, professionally, domestically, and certainly spiritually? Everybody ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. I want you to marinate in that for a moment. Everybody ends up somewhere in life, but there's a few people that end up somewhere on purpose. Those are the ones with vision. They may have other things going for them as well, but they certainly have vision. And not necessarily a vision, singular, but vision for each of the key roles that they are assigned along the way. We all know tonight that life is a multifaceted journey, so it calls for a multifaceted vision. Whether you are aware of it or not, you should have multiple visions for your life. That is, having a mental picture of what you want the various arenas of your life to look like down the road. This is why I mentioned in the past two Wednesday nights, we can focus on the kingdom of God. We can focus on our local church. We can focus on our marriage, our kids, our job. We should have multifaceted visions for our life. So the question I will ask all of you here tonight, whether we're raptured out of here in the next hour or you pass on into eternity through the pathway of death, I ask you this question. What do you want to end up as? Whatever, whatever life brings to you, whatever you suffer, whatever you go through, bottom line, when you die, what do you want to be when you die? What do you want to have accomplished? If you have a plan, if you have an idea, then you need to have a plan. If you want to end up as XYZ, you fill in the blank. Do you have a plan in place so that that will happen? If you don't, then you probably won't end up XYZ, whatever that is. Everybody feel me here tonight? There's a difference between filling bags with sand and building a dike in order to save a town from floodwaters. There's a big difference between the two. There's nothing glamorous or fulfilling about filling bags with sand, but saving a city from a flood is a whole nother thing altogether. Building a dike gives meaning and purpose to the chore of filling bags with sand, and so it is with vision. You have to understand what you want to end up as, and you have to have a plan as to how to make that happen. Too many times the routines of life begin to feel like shoveling sand. But take those same routines, take those same routines, those same responsibilities, and view them through the lens of vision. That thing you want to end up as, that person you want to end up as, if you can do that, then everything immediately starts looking different. Vision brings your world into focus. Vision brings order to chaos. A clear vision enables you to see everything differently. Let me illustrate a little bit more about vision. Those of you that have unsaved, an unsaved spouse, 
or unsaved children. Everybody here tonight wants their spouse in church. Everybody here tonight wants their kids living for God. If you have parents that aren't serving God, everybody here tonight wants parents serving God. You want that, and you would like to play a role in that. So do you have a plan? Well, I pray, Pastor. Well, there's more you can do. Why don't you talk to your unsaved spouse or children, whatever it may be, and say, look, I understand that you're probably not interested in going to church with me every Sunday, but could you come once a quarter? It's a plan. It's reasonable. Uh, church is going to have family night outside. Would you come with me to that? Uh, we had night of worship. Great opportunity to invite unsafe people. It's a safe service, safe service for most people. This is what I'm talking about. You're not just filling sandbags with sand when you invite them. You're inviting them with a plan and a purpose. And if you can get them to come once a quarter, maybe you can persuade them after a little while to start coming once a month. Anybody feel me here tonight? It's a plan. It's a plan. Vision has to have a plan. Now, you can take that principle that I've just mentioned, and you can apply it to any facet of your life you want to. You want to be X, Y, Z on your job? You can want it all you want, but it's not going to happen until you develop a plan. We talked about it last Wednesday night. You don't dream impossible dreams. You dream dreams that are reasonable. You consider your circumstances, your environment, and all that, and you formulate a plan based on those things. It's not hard to be visionary. It takes a little bit of discipline, a little bit of accountability, and you learn how to see things different. You want your marriage to be better? Your marriage is not going to be better by continually complaining about your spouse. You can formulate a plan of things you can do that Mike would make your spouse better. Anybody ever think of that? Well, it's a whole lot more fun to be critical and kick them to the curb all the time and tell them how horrible they are. Well, why don't you turn that inside out and come up with something positive and see what happens? Just trying to help somebody here tonight. So tonight I want to talk about, when you talk about vision on a personal level, I want to give you four things that we have to weave into the fabric of our daily experience in life every single day, every single day. I do my best to live this every day. I have setbacks, I fall off the wagon, I get discouraged like everybody else does. But deep down inside, my core says, okay, dude, get your act together, get back on track, you have a vision, keep putting plans in place to reach that goal. <clears throat> what do we do here at Grace Church? I'm going to belabor this point for a moment. Do you think all the stuff at Grace Church just happens off the cuff? And look at here, man, this church just poof. And here it is. Do you think that? A number of years ago, um, when our leadership team was much smaller than it is, I think at that time we had maybe seven or eight people in, 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 in literal leadership roles. I had asked, um, actually it was uh, Sister Eton to just put some food and snack stuff together because we was going to have a night of vision casting. Something came up. She couldn't do it. So she asked Sister Sheila Landry to do it. Her and Brother Mike uh, prepared food. It was excellent. I'll, I'll never forget this. And, and Sister Landry asked me, she said, do you mind if Mike and I just sit in and listen? I said, absolutely not. Uh, I'd be very happy for you to sit in and listen. And so we set a little timer on the table, and, and I forgot what it was. I think we gave each leader, uh, each serve team leader, I think it was seven or eight minutes to cast their vision for the following year, what they were going to do in their serve team to make it bigger, to make it better, to make it grow, and all that kind of stuff. Some of you are here that tonight that were here that night. When we were done with that meeting, I'll never forget it, Sister Landry walked up and she had tears in her eyes and she said, I had no idea that all of this was going on behind the scenes. We just walked in the door on Sunday morning and sat down and just kind of thought all this was here and it just kind of happened in some kind of way. But she said, now I see that the planning, the focus, the attention. We haven't gone public with this until right now. But um, we're uh, in the very beginning stages 
of starting what we're calling a children's choir. Do you think that's just so the kids can get up here and sing, or do you think there's something else that's motivating that? What do you think is motivating that? Would it be looking for potential out of our kind of the junior high age, very generally speaking? Are we looking for some potential for some uh, people to be up here on Sunday morning? Because these folks that are singing right now ain't getting any younger. We're going to need some more people. So we, we've set in motion a plan to have future praise team singers when they're adults. I don't think y'all are hearing me tonight. If you want something amazing to happen in your life, you have to have vision for it. You have to plan. And you stick with that plan every day. When you fall off the wagon, you dust yourself off and you get back on it. Does everybody hear me? This is what Grace Church is about. We're visionary people. And it works. It absolutely works. So I want to share with you tonight four things. If I don't get through all of them, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to be a little repetitive because I want everybody to get it. It doesn't matter how old or young you are either. You say, well, I'm 402 years old, Pastor. I can't be a visionary. Yes, you can. It's not too late. It's not, I don't think it's ever too late to become a visionary. Instead of sitting around to our older, our overcomers group, anticipating your next doctor's appointment and expecting the worst diagnosis possible, why don't you plan something else that's a little more exciting going on in your life? And all the young people clap and say, yes, yes, yes. I gave an example of what I'm talking about. This is really, this presentation tonight, and I've made this presentation to Grace Church before a long time ago. It's different with me tonight. It's different with me tonight because of the pandemic that we're hopefully coming out of, hopefully. Um, vaccines out and all that, I think people are feeling more confident, they're feeling better, what have you. But after going through that last year, as a matter of fact, it's been a year, this month it's been a year. Uh, after going through that, this, I'm coming from a whole nother feeling, a different attitude, a different perspective now. Because now we've been through this thing. All of us have. It hadn't been one or two people. Everybody has. Nobody's been exempted, right? So we're all, we've all been through this. So there's the, the four things I want to share with you tonight. Number one is passion. And I think all of you will agree, as difficult as it was, pastor never lost passion. I stayed very passionate with Grace Church. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We can do it. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Felt like Bob the Builder. Can we do it? Yes, we can kind of thing. So number one, if you want to have vision on a personal level, you have to be passionate about what you're trying to do and trying to accomplish. And it can't be just a one-time, one-time-a-year thing. It can't be an annual event. It has to become who you are every single day. It's not hard. It's just reprogramming how you think. It's not hard to do this. Let me give you an illustration. Viktor Frankl, an Austrian psychologist who survived the death camps of Nazi Germany, made a significant discovery as he found within himself the capacity to rise above his incredibly humiliating circumstances. Now, we've suffered over the past year, we have, it's, it's, it's been something for a lot of people, for most people. But I can't imagine being in a death camp. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But he found it within himself, the capacity to rise above <laughs> a circumstance, an environment. I don't know how to describe it. He became an observer as well as a participant in the experience. He watched others who shared in the ordeal. He was intrigued with the question of what made it possible for some people to survive when most people died. He looked at several factors when he observed people. He looked at their health, their vitality, their family structure, their intelligence level, their survival skills. He looked at all those things. Keep in mind, he was a psychologist. Finally, he concluded that none of these factors 
was responsible for those who survived. The single most significant factor he realized was the, in the people that survived was a sense of future vision. The compelling conviction of those who were to survive that they had a mission to perform and some important work left to do. In other words, we're going to get out of here one day and I'm going to resume my vision for life. It was all interrupted by this death camp business. Our vision has been interrupted by this pandemic business. But we're getting back to our vision. We've survived it. We've survived the ordeal. And we're getting back to our vision. Because those that survived, he concluded, realized that my life ain't over. And it's not going to end here. I still have an important work left to do. And so I'm going to face all these horrible circumstances every day. Survivors of POW camps in Vietnam um, and elsewhere have reported similar experiences. A compelling future-oriented vision is a primary force that kept many of them alive, according to Viktor Frankl. We all have had some vision of ourselves and our future, and that vision creates consequences. More than any other factor, vision affects the choices we make and the way we spend our time. Listen to Pastor tonight. Let me, let me illustrate this point. I want to say it again. We all have vision of ourselves and our future. And that vision creates consequences. Yes, it does. More than any other factor, vision affects the choices we make and the way we spend our time. Let me give you some examples. First of all, if our vision is limited, if our vision is limited, if it doesn't extend beyond our plans for this coming Friday night or that we're going to be out of town three weeks from now, and we tend to make choices based on what's right in front of us. If we don't, if our plan doesn't go further than that, it's going to be hard for us to become that person that we want to become for the rest of our life. Most people, I dare say tonight that most people react to whatever's urgent, the impulse of the moment, our feelings or our moods, our limited awareness of our options, and other people's priorities. If you do this, then you are a person with very limited vision. Life is nothing but one distraction after another that keeps you out of focus on what you want to become, what you want to accomplish, what you want to achieve. We vacillate and fluctuate in how we feel about our decisions even the way we make them changes from day to day. I talk to a lot of people at Grace Church. talk to a lot of people very often. And I see this right here. It's probably one of the most debilitating things when it comes to being a visionary person. Just whatever's going to happen tomorrow, we go with the flow. And it yanks us this way and that way and this way and that way. And we live our lives very frustrated because we would like to develop a plan and, and, and move forward with that plan to make things come to pass in our life and to fulfill God's purpose in our life, but we're too distracted by all this other stuff going on. The second thing that hinders a person from, from developing and blossoming, blooming and, and becoming a visionary is when vision is based on illusion, when it's based on illusion. We make choices that aren't based on true north principles. Whatever culture has going at the moment, whatever's trending at the moment, we embrace that ideology and then all of our decisions are based on that. And then when that ideology moves out of our culture, when it don't trend anymore, then we don't, we don't have anything left. We've based vision on illusion. We don't base vision on what's consistent and expedient and important and necessary. Uh, if our if our vision is based on 
illusion. We make choices that aren't based on true north principle. Our vision becomes no more than platitudes. We become disillusioned, even cynical. Our creative imagination withers, and we don't trust our dreams anymore. For example, if someone goes through, has a bad marriage, and goes through a very bitter divorce, that one incident can sidetrack them for years, even though the act of bad marriage and divorce is over. There's something lodged in their head, and they can't get past it. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job. It could be one of your children completely going haywire. These things lodge in our head, and we realized that all of our hopes and dreams were based on something we had no control over. Our vision has been based on illusion. The third thing that can be very challenging for a person to develop vision is when your vision is partial. If we focus only on our economic needs, but not spiritual, not domestic, etc., when you only single out one thing and say, I'm going to really make this great, and you neglect the other part of your life, you can focus on economic needs, you can focus on social needs, and ignore mental and spiritual needs. So when you do that, you make choices that lead to a severe imbalance in your life. Number four, and this one's, this one's huge, and I really want to address our students tonight with this one. If our vision is based on the social mirror, <laughs> oh my when your vision is based on the social mirror, what that means is your choices are based on the expectations of others. So if I'm going to get all those likes and friends and red hearts and clappy hands and the smiley emojis, I have to do what pleases all of these people who are in my social arena. been said that when man discovered the mirror he began to lose his soul and if our self vision is no more than a reflection of the social mirror we have no connection with our inner self with our own uniqueness and capacity to contribute and we try so hard here at Grace Church I do personally when, I, when people give me the opportunity to, to talk with them to work with them etc and I'm really, I'm really reaching hard right now for our students. Listen to me again. If your self-vision is no more than a reflection of the social mirror, your smartphone, your smart device, whatever it is, a computer, and all these people in your life, and you have no connection with your inner self, you lose your own uniqueness and your capacity to contribute. Listen to pastor. When, we, when our vision is based on the social mirror, we're living out scripts handed to us by others. We do what our family tells us to do. We do what our associates tell us to do. We do what our friends tell us to do. We even do what our enemies tell us to do. We do what the media tells us to do. So what are some of the scripts that this group of people in our lives, what are some of the things that they say? One example is some may seem, some of their ideas may seem constructive, such as, oh, you're so talented. You're so talented. You're a natural ball player. Or, I've always said you should be a doctor. How do these people know that? I mean, did they raise you all of a sudden? They've, they've known you for a few months or maybe even a year or two if you're students here. How can they all of a sudden tell you what you're like and what you're going to be good at and what have you? I'm not, I, I, it, it may be okay if you can really trust the source and people are knowledgeable and they know what they're talking about to maybe listen to that kind of stuff. 
But if it's not true, then it overinflates you. And if you don't become the ball player or the doctor or whatever, then all of a sudden you're reeking with low self-esteem and you have highly disappointed your social group because you didn't become what they thought you should become. So where in that case it may seem constructive, you're so talented, etc. On the other hand, it may be very destructive when your peer group, when your social group tells you and they laugh and makes fun of you because you're so slow and you can't do anything right. And why can't you be like your other sibling? Why can't you be like the rest of your family? Has anybody ever heard that before? Why can't you be like our best friend over here? You know, that kind of thing. And so that kind of destructive observation in your life, again, it takes away from you that desire to want to be what your heart is telling you you can be, especially in church. I've heard it said too many times. I heard somebody say, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday night, one of our students said in front of me, and I quickly jumped all over it. The person said, I wished I could be like so-and-so. I said, no, you don't. You don't wish that. So-and-so is a great person. You need to be like you. You need to be the person God created. You need to be the person that God wants you to be. You're not trying to be something. That's the most paralyzing thing that can ever happen to a person, in my opinion, is when you want to live out the rest of your life trying to be like somebody else. It doesn't work. If God wanted you to be that person, that made, he'd have made you that person. You be you. Because I ain't another person on this planet that can be you. But you. Amen. Is this making sense to anybody? It, it just really hits me in my heart when I study this material. So good or bad, these scripts can keep us from connecting with who we are and what we're about. And consider, let me, let me stop here for a moment. I oftentimes see parents who have wonderful, wonderful children, and if you observe them carefully, you find out that they're trying to live their life through their kids. And I think that's one of the most devastating things that can happen to a child. Look, if you, had your, if you didn't have a great childhood and you're not happy with it, living it out through your kids ain't going to change it either. And we need to understand that. We, we, the Bible said to train up a child in the way they should go. What the Bible means in that verse, and I've studied it, is it's up to the parents to recognize gifting and talent and personality and all that stuff in each individual child that you have, and you do your best to influence them to develop their gifting, their calling, their relationship with God. You don't try to make them you, and you don't try to make them somebody else, and you don't harp on them that you're no good and you're sorry and you're a loser because you're not as good as your brother, you're not as smart as your sister, you're not of this, you're not of that. I would stop charting even telling them Man, you have the ability to be the next president of the United States. Then you have them overachieving and perhaps striving to become something that they were never destined to be. You have to recognize what their gifts are and whatever path that leads them down, you endorse that and say, that's my child right there. You to consider all the images that the media projects. Think about our media all day long in this country. The images of cynicism, skepticism, violence, indulgence, fatalism, materialism. Most of the time, important news in this country is bad news. And we get a dose after dose after dose every day. If these images are the sources of our personal vision, is it any wonder that many of us feel disconnected and at odds with our own self? You don't know what to think. You don't know what to believe. You don't know what to think about yourself. You don't know what to believe about yourself. So when we talk about the passion of vision, we're taking a deep, sustained energy that, that comes from a comprehensive, principle-based, need-based, endowment based seeing that goes beyond this present moment or circumstance. The passion of vision deals with an age, a lifetime, 
Not a moment, not a trend, not a culture. It taps into the deep core of who we are and what we're about. Passion and vision is fueled by a realization of the unique contribution we have the capacity to make, the legacy that we can live. Passion and vision clarifies purpose. It gives direction. It empowers us to perform beyond our resources. We call it passion because this vision can become a motivating force so powerful, it, in in effect, becomes the DNA of our lives. It becomes who we are. It's so ingrained and integrated into every aspect of our being that it becomes a compelling impetus behind every decision we make. It's a fire on the inside of us. The reason I could never outrun and escape the call to ministry was because of the forceful passion that it contains. I could not get that fire out of my belly. No matter how hard I ran, no matter how I tried to justify, I'm not of this, I'm not of that, I've done this, I've done that, so I can't be a preacher, whatever. There's a fire on the inside called passion. And if you have it and, can, and, and, and let it work on your behalf, you can become that person, and especially in the kingdom of God, that you want to be. There's not a circumstance. There's not a situation. There's not a hardship that can keep you from becoming what you want to be. History has proven it. A number of years ago, I don't remember his name, unfortunately. It's just coming to me. I didn't have time to look it up. I should have, perhaps. One of the most inspiring motivational speakers I've ever heard in my life. They literally set him on a folding table to speak when he would go to junior high and high schools and even college arenas as an inspirational speaker, telling them, you can become what you want to be. He was born without legs and without one arm, and the one arm he had was virtually useless. His head and face looked completely normal. His hairbrush was mounted to the wall, and he would run his head through the hairbrush to comb his hair. He had to have people feed him and bathe him. The man ultimately married and travels around the globe as an, uh, as an inspirational speaker. I watched that man and tears ran down my face. I'm thinking, what's my problem? It convicted me. It inspired me. But the thing that had this man was he got tired of seeing young people throw their lives away for nothing. Bottom line, telling them, look at me. He learned to swim. He could tandem jump out of an airplane with a parachute. There was a lot of things he could do. He refused to allow his his deformity in all due respect, his birth defect in all due respect, to hold him back from amounting to something and becoming something that could impact his world. And it was passion that drove him to do it. It's a fire on the inside. It's the energy that makes life an adventure. The deep burning yes that empowers us to say no peacefully and confidently to the lesser things in our lives. This passion can empower us to literally transcend fear. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. It can literally transcend fear and doubt and discouragement and many other things that keep us from accomplishment and contribution. I live this. People that know me know it. I live it every day. I've overcome so many obstacles in my own personal life. I'm so passionate about this. And I see people out here that has 10 times the ability I do. And you're sitting around, warting around, and walling around with some trivial something that went on today. When your impact and your influence could be felt all over this church if you could just become a visionary. The 
passion of shared vision empowers people to transcend the petty, the negative interactions that consume so much time and effort and deplete quality of life. It elevates our thinking. Vision evokes emotion. There is no such thing as an emotionless vision. Think about your daydreams. The thing that makes daydreaming so enjoyable is the emotion that piggybacks on those mind's eye images. When we allow our thoughts to wander outside the walls of reality, our feelings are quick to follow. A clear, focused vision actually allows us to experience ahead of time the emotions associated with our anticipated future. When our church was in Baker, there's people here tonight that may remember. I preached like I was preaching to 10,000 people because in my mind's eye, I was. So it allowed me to experience the joy and the exhilaration of something that's not even here yet. That's what vision does. You say, well, pastor, isn't it you know, just a little bit disappointing when you come back to reality? No, because I see my plan coming to pass. I see my plan coming to pass. I see my plan coming to pass. And, you know, if you look at it on a chart, it might dip down here and there. But if you look at the overall, it just keeps going up, 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 up. And it's been that way. It's been that way. We, we kind of flat-planed in Baker for about 15, 16 years. But we kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And when we finally hit this building, and all of us knows the growth expansion, it just kind of went straight up. That's the way vision happens. But I preached in Baker a number of years ago, living in the moment we're in right now. Because I had a plan. I had a vision. Everybody understand? Well, the clock is not a friend. These emotions serve to reinforce our commitment to the vision. They provide a sneak preview of things to come. Even the most lifeless, meaningless task or routine can begin to feel, feel good when it's attached to a vision. I can walk into this church, Sister Murphy and I do this, virtually every service. It's not drudgery. It's not dread. Like, oh, God, do we have to do that again? It's not that. Even on down Sundays, even on Wednesday nights when things didn't go as well, because I've already tasted of what's coming in the future, and I have a plan on how I'm going to get there. So I keep working towards that mark, working towards that. And then the following Sunday's better, and then the following Wednesday night's better. And, and, and this group... Right out here, I saw this group when we were in Baker, Brother James, when we'd have 15, 20 people show up on Wednesday night. Was it discouraging then? Yes, it was. But I saw this group. I preached a sermon. Brother Merrill reminded me of it a couple of years ago. I'd actually forgotten it. He said, I preached a sermon one night, and I still don't remember it, and I've looked for the notes and can't find them. But he said, that night I was preaching to the balcony when we were in Baker, that God has a church somewhere in this area it's going to be at this church. God has a church out there. They just hadn't got here yet. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Well, when we bought this building to move to Central, they all came. And it seems like most of them came at one time. And that's kind of how God works, and I'm not disappointed. But it's staying passionate about vision that I can do this, and God's going to make it happen. God's going to bring it to pass. So through the avenue of vision, the feelings reserved for tomorrow are channeled back into our present reality so it makes today even more enjoyable because you know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not preaching pie in the sky and positive thinking. I'm talking about you get on your face before God and you sob and cry and say, God put something on the inside of me and I'm going to work at it till I die. Yeah, work at it till I die. Vision is always accompanied by strong emotion. And the clearer the vision, the stronger the emotion. I have four points to make tonight, and I got to one. We'll continue next Wednesday night. But I want to close with this. I watch documentaries of various kinds. It's mostly inspirational. 
but more than that, it's challenging. And, and most of them, when I'm done watching the documentary about a person, whoever it may be, I ponder it. I'll ponder it for days. I had lunch with Steve Bunch last week, and uh, we talked about a very popular singer, musician. It's been said that he was probably the best guitarist of all time. He's played more genres of guitar music virtually than anyone else and excelled at it. Um, he was a studio musician for more and longer projects than anyone else, has all kind of records, um, records that was broken. Plus, he put out a number of records, and as a matter of fact, uh, I believe it was in the late 60s, his record, whatever it was at that time that came out, broke the record of the number of albums it's ever sold, even exceeding what the Beatles had done. His name was Glenn Campbell. A lot of you will remember him, whether your sanctimonious, righteous position will let you admit that or not. Um, it's interesting to me that most of the songs he sang, he didn't write. Somebody else wrote them. He just sang them good. And uh, I think James Webb, I think was his name, uh, wrote most of the songs, or at least a good number of the songs that Glenn Campbell sang. Watched a documentary on him recently. About four failed marriages, three failed marriages. The fourth, I think he was married till he died. Uh, eight kids. Um, but he had a vision. Extremely gifted, extremely gifted, extremely talented. He had vision. And even his family and the needs and desires of his family could not keep him from fulfilling his vision. And he admitted that that was, his, that was the problem with his marriages. And so his, I believe his fourth uh, and last marriage, um, he considered a success because he finally gave up and retired from music to a great degree, became a pretty good golfer, I understand. And um, the documentary was interesting that one of his favorite golfing buddies was Alice Cooper, who at that time was probably one of the most, what, rock and roll, acid rock, whatever. These two men lived on two different planes musically. But they came together over the fact that they had music in common, became great friends. Their wives were great friends, their kids were great friends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The taste, all of that left in my mouth. It's what that man gave up to develop his vision and his passion for life. I think he was born in, was it Delight, Arkansas? I believe is where he was born. Uh, Twelve kids in his family. He was eight, I think. Eight, something like that. Was born in Delight, Arkansas. Never heard of the place. Never been there. Him and his uncle, whose name was Boo, Uncle Boo, used to go to the church of their, their their whole family attended church of christ but him and uncle boo would leave the services at the church of christ and go down the street and uh to another church where they had what they thought was better music and all that and that's where glenn began to develop his desire for music and then began to understand his gifting it's amazing to me at what he gave up he said in one of the documentaries that my older children I don't even know them. I was never at home. I talked to him once in a while on the phone, became an alcoholic, became a cocaine addict, checked himself into rehab clinics periodically through that phase of his life. Ultimately died, I believe, of Alzheimer's uh, at home, taken care of by his fourth wife. It what all he gave up for all of that music career, and where is it now? That's what paralyzes me when I, I've watched a documentary on Whitney, Whitney Houston, Elvis Presley, uh, all of these people that have tremendous gifting and they live their whole life and it doesn't matter how bad they're addicted to cocaine and alcohol, it doesn't matter how they destroy their families, they're going to make this stuff happen in their life no matter what. When we have in front of us the kingdom of God that's going to be eternal. And we, are, have, we struggle to focus on it more than a week at a time. 
if you could take the drive and passion of a Glenn Campbell and put it in anyone here tonight, anybody here tonight, it'd be amazing at what could happen to this church in just a few days and weeks. Folks, we have to have that kind of passion. You, you do the study. You, you, you look at, at what the impact that Michael Jackson had all over the world. He visited the Queen of England. Has been everywhere you can imagine. Made lots of money. A talent. Gifting. Unbelievable. But where is it now? It's a historical fact now. It's only history. And you can take all these people. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can take all these people. And, and, and that was great for the moment. But what about the eternal impact of it? We have an opportunity, folks, to make an eternal impact in the lives of people. And if we could, if we could muster up the passion and the fire and not let daily life distract us. We tend to daily life. We don't ignore it. We don't get rid of our family. We don't go move on an island somewhere and make all this stuff happen. You still function in your daily life. You do all of that. But deep down inside, you have a focus that I'm going to be the very best that God has called me to be. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. One more thing and I'm done. Uh, I believe we have Noah, Eli, and Finley that works in the media booth. I would like to ask all three of you a question. Is that all, Nathan, our, our JV people, uh, just the three of them? Uh, I think we have one more interested is what I'm, what I'm hearing. Um, but I would like to ask the three of y'all tonight, which one of y'all are going to take Brother Nathan's job and make him look for another one in church? Have you thought about it? If you haven't, why? See, this is what I'm talking about. I'd like for all of you not to be like him, which there'll be nothing wrong with that, but to go after his job. I want his job. I want to run all of that. I want to manage all that and make him go look for some other job somewhere. Brother Nathan knows where I'm coming from. Work yourself out of a job, all that. We, we teach all that here. But why can't y'all be that guy? Why don't somebody set your eyes on Chris Watley's job? Say, I'm going to take that job away from him. I'm going to get so good at it. I'm going to be far better than him. Because I'm so passionate about church and the kingdom of God, I'm just going to just going to sell out to it, and I'm going to take that away from him. I'm going to take Casey's job. I'm going to take Chris Lewis's job. I'm going to take Jonathan Groan's job. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Get some passion about you and determine. You don't have to step on people. I'm not talking about being mean and ugly, but you just keep growing and growing and growing, and your talent and your gifting makes room for itself. So you want to be something? Quit coming up with excuses as to why you can't. But start planning as to why you can be that person. Stand with me tonight. I don't know about you, but I have had a wonderful, wonderful time here tonight. This has been amazing. I'm not done. We, we, we're going to continue this. We've got three more things to talk about next Wednesday. But you're going to get the point. Uh, if, if God will help me, we're, we're all going to get the point. And then we're going to start moving in another direction where we can literally start putting wheels and feet to our vision and all that. God help us. God be with us. Great crowd here tonight. I deeply appreciate y'all coming. Would everybody just kind of look heavenward a little bit and say, God help me. All right. If you mean it, he will. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for your time and attention, and we'll see you Sunday. God bless you.